Thank you, and now we'll have a tour. Okay, we are uh, ready to start. Uh, my name is Tore Longwa. I work for DNVGL, the um, Classification Society, and um, I work with regulatory affairs. And uh, my daily job is to look into all uh, regulations on the environmental side. And um, today I'll. Uh, there is a lot of noise. Please, can we have? Uh, can we not have any noise so we can get started? Thank you. Especially in the back, thank you very much. So you can start again if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> um, welcome to this uh, presentation. I, um, as I said, I'm Tore Longwa from, from DNVGL. Today I'll talk about future-proofing ships. And um, just recently we have uh, released our annual energy uh, transition outlook. And as part of that we also have a maritime forecast to 2050. So, realizing that 2050 is quite far off, we are now just talking about uh, uh, how to comply with regulations uh, one or two years ahead in time. Um, but I will still argue that um, the regulations that we see beyond those regulations will have a profound impact on shipping also the next few years. So, if we look a little bit back, if you look 100 years ago, um, in 1911, the first ocean-going vessel uh, running on diesel was uh, launched, the Salandia. Uh, if you look a little bit on the particulars of that ship, it was built of steel. It was around 7,000 dead weight, quite a small vessel. But at that time, it was uh, quite large. Running on diesel, 12 knots, 1.8 megawatt engine, and it was consuming 10 tons of diesel per day. Of course, it had to carry uh, enough diesel to go to, from Europe to Singapore and back again, because it was not possible to get uh, diesel in, uh, uh, outside of Europe at that time. <coughs> Going 100 years into the future, um, a very similar ship. I picked out a ship that's, that's about the same size. This is now a short sea vessel. It will not trade between Europe and Singapore. But still, it's a quite similar ship, around 7,000, running on distillates or running on heavy fuel, a little bit faster, 12.5 knots, a little bit larger engine, 2.3 megawatts of engine, uh, but it consumes 8 tons per day. What this tells us is that uh, during these 100 years, um, shipping has just uh, improved incrementally. It's the same material, it's the same hull shape, it's uh, uh, the same machinery, but it has gradually been improved. If you look into 2050, uh, I'm not so sure uh, the ships will be, um, at least the, the fuel and the engine will not be uh, that similar. I think uh, I'll have uh, dare say that it will be a steel ship, but outside of that, I think it will be very different ships. I'm also saying that this will have an impact uh, of today. And I will come a little bit back on what we can expect of the future. But the point is that um, ships built today will start competing with ships that gradually will uh, change much, much faster than we've seen the last 100 years. And there are two things uh, that uh, immediately will impact that. Uh, this one we have been talking about uh, quite uh, a lot today. It's the sulfur regulation. There are also other regulations on NOx, particles, 
these are the regulations that have been adopted, but we see in China they are ramping up the regulations on sulfur. Europe, European Union is looking into particles. Even with the global sulfur limit of 5,000 ppm, the 0.5%, the cars that we use on the road today, they use fuel with 10 ppm or uh, 15 ppm. So that goes to say that um, we, uh, depending on, on the pollution and, and the impact of that pollution, we might also see further regulation on, on fuel. These are the guys that uh, in April this year, this is from the IMO, uh, adopted the green, um, IMO initial greenhouse gas reduction strategy. As you can see, it was uh, a full room, a lot of media attention. This was a very big decision by the IMO. And this is the result. As I said, it looks quite far into the future. Um, but this goal of 50% reduction of emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions in 2050, given the expected growth in shipping, will have a big impact. Another impact that we should also be aware of is that it should decarbonize shipping within this century. So 2050 is just uh, one step on that uh, ultimate goal. Uh, this is the uh, result of a study that I told you about, the energy transition outlook. It assumes that if shipping, uh, that shipping is going to um, reach these targets, which is of course um, kind of a big leap of faith because it all depends on actual regulations put into place, availability of fuel and so on. But for the sake of argument, um, what, will what, what does it really mean to go down 50%? Um, today, uh, heavy fuel on the MGO is 99.5% of the uh, fuel of shipping, some LNG, some electricity, but the majority is on uh, fossil uh, heavy fuel oil and MGO. In 2050, in order to uh, including the growth, um, MGO, HO, H, um, HFO have to be reduced to one third of the total energy use in shipping, and it will be uh, surpassed by carbon neutral fuels. We also have a big share of LNG and uh, not a very big share, but uh, comparably, it's, it's a big share of electricity as well. Uh, this um, dark blue, uh, very big category of carbon neutral fuel is also, um, it's there, we, we use this big category on purpose because we do not know whether it will be hydrogen or ammonia or whether it will be biofuels or it will be synthetic fuel. Right now, that's uh, too complicated to say. There are so many things going into that discussion. So we, but we are saying that in order to achieve this, zero carbon fuel have to surpass the uh, amount of uh, fossil fuel uh, in 2050. What you also see that this doesn't uh, start in 2045. Uh, it starts already by 2020, 2025 this scaling up starts. And even in 2030, we have quite a significant share of alternative fuels. So 8% of carbon neutral fuels, 10% of LNG, that's 
LNG or LPG that's, uh, that's actually merged together in this, uh, in this study. But it all boils down that we cannot really say that much about um, what types of fuel will be there. Uh, you have talked a lot about the market um, views uh, going into the future. Regulations, yes, in the short term, we have sulfur. You have quite distinct solutions for solving that. But even five and ten years into the future, we will see quite different uh, uh, fuels, energy savings coming onto the uh, to table, so the technology side. And also the expectation from society, as I showed you the picture from IMO, there's a lot of attention on this. I think that shipping is much more into the public view uh, at the moment. So a lot of choices, and what can we do about that? So we have done a study that looks at, uh, okay, what's a carbon robust ship today? What's a ship, how should the ship look today that it will be a competitive ship looking into the future? So it's comparing uh, the science with uh, the competing fleet. So we need to kind of uh, assume how will the future fleet uh, evolve? We have a lot of the science, we know a lot about the technology and the solutions, energy savings, uh, the fuel that we can actually apply today and build today. And then we come into uh, how will the future look like, what kind of policy scenarios. One thing is, do we believe the IMO will follow through with this uh, regulation, enforcing those regulations, um, other supporting measures to drive uh, introduction of carbon neutral fuels and, and reduce GHG emissions. It could be uh, scenarios on growth of the fleet, uh, the scrapping rate of the fleet, all kinds of uh, things could be put in there. We also need to take into account fuel prices, CO2 prices, a lot of other variables to put into this. So then it's just a matter um, how competitive are design A, B, and C compared to a future fleet. And then we look at break-even cost. We do not take into account uh, earning potential and, uh, and, and, uh, and the actual market rate. We look at break-even cost of your fleet your designs compared to uh, the, the global fleet or a segment fleet. Capital costs, voyage costs, which is mainly composed of fuel, and operational cost. And as we saw earlier today, um, we see that voyage cost is bigger, bigger share of the total part of this. Uh, uh, that can vary over the year, but with increased fuel price, uh, that's where the big chunk of costs are. Okay, so let's take a look at how this will look in practice. Let's look at a um, 55,000 uh, deadweight bolt carrier. And we have put up a scenario which we call dull blue. That assumes that we'll just continue as today. There will be only very few regulations coming to place. It's basically assuming that the strategy will uh, fail. We look at 2020, so it's, it's kind of how uh, the new bills that you put up, how competitive are they today. Fuel prices, as today, $400 for HFO, $600 for MGO, and $700 for LNG. Design A, a standard ship, 
It uh, has uh, running on diesel, uh, low sulfur heavy fuel oil from 2020. It's a standard energy efficiency. It has all the standard uh, hull optimization, uh, propeller optimization, um, weather routing, things that we believe are standard on the new build today. We, of course, have a ship running on LNG with also the same energy efficiency level. And we have the fuel efficient ship. What happens if we put on more energy efficiency measures? Then we go into the advanced energy efficiency levels, um, energy optimization on the machinery, uh, waste heat recovery, these kind of things. And then we see the result here. Um, LNG, as you've seen today, it's very expensive. It will be uh, one of the 5% most costly vessels to run in the fleet, while the signed CNA will be average ships. Now, if we move from 2020 and into 2030, we'll see that the ships become more competitive because you have uh, kind of gotten rid of all, a lot of the capital costs. So, so far, no very big, uh, very big news. Going further, um, what happens if we move to another scenario? What happens if the IMO strategy on GHG will actually succeed? And we move into a fleet going towards the graph that I showed earlier with uh, increasing amount of alternative fuels on the, uh, in the fleet. Um, the big change here is that LNG will be much more um, um, competitive because the rest of the fleet also has to do something with the greenhouse gas emissions. So a larger share of the fleet will also implement uh, LNG. So that means that uh, that ship is, is more robust. We can play with other things here. We can look at if the fuel price is very different. Uh, now we see that LNG is retained at the same uh, price, but HFO and GO is more expensive. So since these ships are running on MGO, they will be more expensive than LNG. And again, LNG more uh, robust because it's uh, uh, have a lower fuel price. This just shows that fuel price is, of course, very sensitive with the high cost relative to the capital costs. Okay, if you put on more uh, energy efficiency, we're going back to the original fuel prices. Then you see that uh, the, the ships are becoming more competitive, also the LNG-powered ship. Then, scrubbers, since we've talked so much about scrubbers today. Um, now we switched uh, design A and C with a scrubber. You see here that this is also uh, a very good choice because of the high cost of fuel and uh, the relatively low cost of a scrubber. It doesn't take into account all the, all the technical aspects, but it, it shows that um, uh, $200 um, spread of the fuel is it's quite significant and that can be uh, uh, yeah, a very competitive choice. So um, I just very quickly took you through a few cases. There are a lot of variables, a lot of uh, different uh, aspects that we can put into this. 
some conclusions from this case study um, is that Scrubbers is a good choice. It's very hard to get around that uh, you can have a payback in a, in a few years. What I didn't show here is that the carbon footprint of that, it will increase by a, a few percentages. So looking in 2030, if the rest of the uh, fleet is kind of driven towards a transition to more energy efficiency, uh, lower carbon fuels, what can happen to that ship in, in 2030? So it's uh, more exposed to, for, uh, to uh, regulations on greenhouse gases. LNG, very capital intensive. It's very hard to make that work in the short term. Uh, but in the long term, it's less exposed, of course, to greenhouse gas regulations. Uh, energy efficiency, as we have seen, is, is more or less uh, a given. It's a bit of sustained high fuel prices. Uh, even if you run on scrubbers or you run on LNG, uh, that should be kind of continuous improvement. So, of course, you, this will evolve over the years. Uh, more and more energy efficiency measures will become standard. And a final word, each segment has its own uh, specific. So what we see is that scrubbers are probably going to use on the larger uh, ship segments. Uh, smaller ship segments with different operating patterns, uh, different uh, options on fuel can have a very different uh, conclusion. So that's uh, some food for thought, I uh, hope. And uh, it's uh, uh, having a perspective that looking into the 2050, these transitions that we see, we can come much quicker than we expect. And uh, even if now we are preoccupied with ballast water and scrubber, there are also uh, regulations coming into play after that. Thank you.